Hello everyone and welcome to Space 10 Radio, coming to you from Mexico City. Today marks the end of Space 10, 14-day pop-up in Mexico City, and wow, what a journey. Over these two weeks, we've been hard at work and play, exploring how designers can come together to rethink design that embraces both people and the planet, and build the conditions for a more hopeful tomorrow. On the first night, we opened the doors to our community and collaborators with a wild party, one that had so many people spilling out into the street that the cops shut us down. We enjoyed an interactive dinner party in which we gathered around one long table while Martina Manterola and Carmen Serra from Colectivo Amasico shared stories and tamales with us. On another night, we saw the results of young, talented creatives who took on a two-day hackathon challenge to envision life in 2030. The winning team presented how technology could provide a safe and accessible way to maintain and build homes through the use of augmented reality. We hosted a hands-on workshop with bioartist Edith Medina, who talked about the relationship between ecology, biomaterials, and local waste, and showed participants how to make their own biomaterials by utilizing local waste as traditional fiber. We were also thrilled to launch an exhibition showcasing how we can design with materials that are in symbiosis with the places we live. Following its launch at our pop-up, the exhibition, Deconstructed Home, will travel on to Casa UC in collaboration with What Design Can Do Mexico and the University of Communication. Then onwards to Pat Jalisco in Guadalajara. All in all, we listened to over 45 speakers. Architects, designers, technologists, chefs, farmers, journalists, who graciously share their insights and knowledge to collectively inspire us to take action for change. So, what now? Well, for our final episode, we come to the table to chat about our insights from these two weeks and what's next. Joining us today is co-founder of Space 10, Simon Kasperson. Joana Ruiz Galindo is a cultural manager passionate about design, Mexican heritage, and the artisan process. She has worked for more than 10 years in the promotion and commercialization of independent design and has founded important initiatives such as Promotora Nacional DMX, La Lonja MX, and the Abierto Mexicano de Diseño, among others. Louis Hartnett O'Mara is a British journalist covering design, art, and culture in Mexico. He spent three years writing, editing, and talking on radio for Monocle from its London headquarters, and now works freelance for the publication alongside other outlets, including the BBC. His Substack, at large, serves as his home for miscellaneous writings. Let's dive in. So, welcome back. Thank you. How has it been? Quite incredible. Actually. Okay. <laughs> you look happy. I'm happy and also a little bit sad. It's our final party tonight and I really don't want to, I don't want this to end. I know. Mex Mexico is an, a hard place to leave when you've been you know, just having fun and doing amazing stuff, which I'm sure you guys have been doing for a couple of weeks now. And um, so let's just like try maybe to wrap this up a bit. And I would like to begin by asking Joanna, who's co-director general of What Design Can Do Mexico. You have hosted a few <laughs> events yourself, <laughs> and those events aim to just like go for some big societal issues and try to like maybe do something about them through design. And you've also hosted an event as a part of this pop-up. So, but 
you have also been part of the audience in several of the events. We've seen you around. <laughs> and so it's time for, like, your verdict. <laughs> how, have, how has this event, like the Space 10 Mexico City pop-up, looked for you? Like, how has it been in your very <laughs> professional opinion? <laughs> Quite a question. Um, it's been great and a mind-blowing experience. Uh, I think it was a very ambitious thing to do, the pop-up, 14 days non-stop of uh, panels and asking questions. I, I really think it's interesting uh, and hope this is just the beginning of something else. Um, I know that the residency was also something uh, that you guys worked on a lot, and I think the results are really nice. I am very happy that the exhibition is staying for a few more days in Mexico City and that people are going to be able to see it. Um, I was very impressed on how you reached out to the Mexican creative community. I mean, it's like you're Mexican. You know everybody. <laughs> um, I think it's it was a really, really good job and a really interesting few days of thinking and, well, thinking a lot on, on these questions and asking uh, everybody how, how they feel we could do better. Um, in terms of verdict, it's, it's hard to say. I'm, I'm just... I'll, two thumbs up for <laughs> everything that happened. I think we, I mean, I want to listen to the panels again and I want to keep on uh, thinking on, on all this. Uh, I, we were talking a little while ago, but it's like we can keep talking for hours on, on the things that we've said over the past 14 days. So I'm very happy to have been part of it. Thank you, Joanna. Can I just add yeah, something? Because the residency that uh, Joanna is referring to was um, actually these incredible designers from Mexico working together with Sital uh, Solanki from, from MATA and, um, and, and our team on, on really exploring um, locally abundant natural materials and how that could be used as a new material for tomorrow. And yesterday... We had a, we have a exhibition on the outcome of this, and it's so fascinating what they have come up with. All so strong proposals, and of course we have our closing party tonight, and we were like, this needs to live on, like the incredible work that have went into this, and then. Joanna Ricardo uh, actually hooked us up with uh, a really nice exhibition venue not that far from here, so the exhibition can actually keep going. So maybe you can, can share what is this uh, of course. venue you have. Yes, this is Casa Use. It's, uh, it belongs to the Universidad de la Comunicación. It's just recently opened its doors to exhibitions, and we had the first exhibition a few months ago. And uh, it's a place that we want to fill up with all of these interesting types of things. And uh, we're hosting the exhibition from Monday till the 25th. That's awesome. It is. And the designers were so happy, and that makes me happy also. So you see, I knew this was going to go somewhere <laughs> interesting. <laughs> so um, about about the conversations had, Louis, you're not a designer. You're actually a writer, and you write for important outlets like, I don't know, Monocle and BBC. 
How has it been for you to be listening into these conversations that are being had around design and what's important, for, like uh, its role in this day and age? And what's your opinion on the event and the speakers and the topics and the discourse and all, all around what's been going on? Yeah, so I mean, I've also been writing for Space Town, another important outlet. <laughs> um, but I suppose what's been interesting to see over my time here is I've kind of I've gone to so many of these uh, talks and I've spoken with the uh, with the residents who are developing these biomaterials. It's interesting to see how it's beyond just designing one thing or another. It's it's about developing a sense of community, um, and that's if what Space Ten is doing well is it's doing that. Um, it's developing that sense of community and it's doing that in different places. So Mexico City, it's really managed to do that beautifully. I mean, for anyone who was at the event last night, they would have seen there was too many people, if anything. <laughs> the, the place was packed. It was great. And, um, and the speakers were fantastic too. And, you know, those are connections that are going to be kept after this time here. So, I mean, that's been one of the most beautiful things that I've been able to see. Uh, in terms of my impression of the topics, the speakers, I think... What's been interesting to see as well is when design's being discussed productively, it's talking about more than products and objects and things that look nice. Um, it's talking about much broader ideas. And, you know, we, we've seen people from, for instance, Nanette at IKEA, who's a really interesting speaker, um, because she's talking about how when you design a product, you don't just design a product. You're always designing a system that's mm. just behind it. And that system might be how it's recycled, and we need to be conscious of that. It might be the materials that are used, that are produced, um, and how they then reach uh, the manufacturers that then produce that product. Um, and it's also thinking about the business ecosystem that goes on behind that and how we can think about whether we're placing values above just straight profit and whether we can place other values into the fold as well, such as the social impact that it has and the ecological impact as well. And that's been one of the main take-homes for me is that when design's working well, it's looking at all of that. It's it's really interesting. Like I think that people like us that are not involved in designing maybe we just see the like the product and we don't think about the whole chain behind it and looking forward as well so i think that's an interesting like take out of this and the community part as well and simon i'm just i just want to like like check in to see what your expectations at the beginning that we talked before the sh the, the event started about you had a couple of, you know, like hopes and dreams. <laughs> But now I was wondering, like, how is this been shaping, like, your your ideas of, of moving forward in your work, like, in terms of inspiration and, and takeaways from, from the event? I, I get the feeling that this community thing was important because Joanna mentioned it and then mm -hmm. Louis mentioned it. And, I mean, the designer thing, like, working together and having this show afterwards and everything and they are probably like gonna keep in touch so I don't know the community cre created is like I think something that it's interesting to look at and I don't know if it was something that you already knew was gonna happen or this, this, this was this a surprise in any way and and you know like thinking about what you said first like what were you expecting how has it turned out it's um, it's been incredible uh, actually and 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 far beyond what we could have hoped for because when we talk about community it's not something you can decide it's people coming together all adding value for the benefit of everyone and like we can of course 
we have booked some of the most inspiring speakers and and the thoughts and and perspective shared has been such an inspiration but yesterday um after the final <laughs> event um we went out and said hey there are some people at uh, Kawadonga 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 <laughs> Uh, a local uh, cantina here, which is, by the way, really badass, but but that's a side story. But then I enter the room, and then I just see a long table with 50 people sitting there from, you know, Mario, who was opening uh, this little shebang radio show, uh, together with uh, Ninos Hitteros with Joanna and Ricardo from What Design Can Do. There were the residents. There was Fernando Lapos who spoke uh, last night. There was Akansha from, from Ikea. There was all of these designers that haven't been on stage. And suddenly there was Miskel and conversations, not because people were booked, but because we seeked out each other. We wanted to keep these conversations going. And I think besides the ideas, this is what's important, that we actually come together um, because we want to and because we are actually adding value by, by connecting with each other and reproducing this community that needs to be reproduced in order to actually exist. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm both very, um, actually a little emotional uh, around this whole experience because it's, uh, it's been really special. We have, like, listened to all of these conversations, but we've maybe missed out on some because Space 10 Radio, which is what we're doing here, mm -hmm. has only broadcast the English, like, like spoken conversations. But, Joanna, you hosted an event where there were several Spanish workshops and speakers as well. Mm -hmm. And so, in particular, there, w there was this panel with politicians and creatives that is a weird it's a weird combination <laughs> combination maybe uh, and what design can do hosted it so you were very involved in it mm -hmm. so can you maybe like shed a bit of a light on what the event was about and how it turned out because i'm really curious about it yes this is um <laughs> we did what we call group therapy which is <laughs> i love that name <laughs> Uh, we've been doing it since the Abierto Mexicano de Diseño, so uh, it's a talk where we kind of have a few beers <laughs> and uh, relaxed, and we talk about a certain topic. We wanted this one, it's since Mondiacult is happening on September, we talked to the Ministry of Culture and they said, we want to open the mic up to the um, creative community on how to make policies that help the creative community and cultural issues and all that. So this is the first table of a few that we started. So we want to have decision makers, we want to have people from the government and discuss with different uh, parts of the creative world what needs to be done. So it was a really interesting three-hour <laughs> therapy. <laughs> wow. And this is something that was really interesting about this event and what we talked about in the, in the, in the first session, that there's, there, there, there was people of a ton of backgrounds interacting and, 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 and trying to, from their area of expertise, to answer the same question. And this is always, always an enriching experience. 
And I think that in terms of involving like decision makers in mm-hmm. listening to these conversations and having their own as well and, and having their input is really valuable. So well, that sounds really interesting. I think it is really important. Actually, after the three-hour talk that we had here, we went to dinner and kept on talking <laughs> um, with with Laurent also that he's working on the, I don't know how to say this word in English, sorry, but humedales in Cuitlahuac. Uh-huh. Uh, it's uh, water treatment, but naturally with plants. And so it it's growing back an ecosystem. It brings back the birds that have gone away because obviously we've dried up all the lakes in Mexico and so we kept on talking and talking <laughs> and uh, it's it's really interesting how and he's working with the government so it, it's really important that we cross and that designers start talking to the decision makers and that the decision, decision makers start talking to designers and architects and all that so I think it's really important and that's something that's also been uh, said around the panels, no? Designers need to work with architects, with biologists, with, we need to come together. And I, I love when biologists are like cool, mm-hmm. because we're, <laughs> nobody ever asks us like anything, so it's like, oh yeah, we can help. <laughs> By the way, I think the humedad, humedad can maybe, I think it's sort of a bog, like the, the, like a bog ecosystem, I don't know, for English speakers, swamp. maybe, like swampish, yeah. Swampish, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Like a wetland. Wetland, yeah. that's the yeah. correct word. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, about this, Louis, mm. um, I mean, this is what Joanna saying is, I think, well, for me, it's, I think, very valuable. But I'm wondering from your point of view, what has been said and, and, and like touched upon in this panel? And what do you think on, a, on a, like a personal level, even if the conversations were not had here, about what is like the new era of design that's coming and what's important for it to be like for it to take shape? And what have you maybe seen as some starting points or stepping stones for like leading to a, 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 a sort of a better tomorrow, like on what design can do for this? Yeah. Well, I mean, I suppose if we're looking at what design can do and what it's doing currently, if it's doing its job properly, then it's then it's looking at how it can address the challenges. And the challenges are pretty obvious. I mean, one thing that Space 10 has talked about a lot is there's rising inequality. Um, there's also um, rising carbon emissions. Uh, the planet's facing a lot of different threats. So what has design been doing to fix that? Well, I suppose the new era of design is, is addressing those. Um, it's not... As I said before, it's not just about making objects that look good. It's, it's really got to do a lot, a lot more than that. And um, a lot of the talks have been around that and, and looking at things on both a global and a local scale. So what, one of the interesting things is what the system that we sort of exist in now, that, that a lot of us exist in at least, is quite a globalized one. Um, we've got various routes of trade. We've got um, you know types of design that are perceived to be international design and they're supposedly more efficient. Um, but in fact, one thing that we've seen a lot, and that's just by being on the ground and, and, and witnessing this and speaking to people, is that there isn't one international type of design. And if there was to be an international design, it would be localized. It would be looking at the materials you have to hand in a particular place, and it would be looking at 
the people whose traditions have developed around those materials and how they can craft things, how they can make things. And if we begin to adjust our expectations to localized responses to global problems, then actually it's, it's, it's a much more effective way to begin looking at things. And perhaps that is the design of tomorrow. It's not this imposing structure that's going to go over everything. It's, it's, it's beginning to take into account an ecosystem that isn't just one mindset, whether that's European or US, which mm -hmm. has dominated the discourse for so long. But the, the local aspect and the incorporating traditional knowledge, like no, knowledge and, and, and how-tos, to modern living is a thing that it's a it's kind of an answer to a lot of the problems we're facing. Mm. Like for example, agriculture has mm -hmm. a bit of the same thing going on, and like incorporating local knowledge and ingredients and materials and ways of doing things before things were like globalized and industrialized is something that people mm. are looking for as an answer. So it kind of makes sense that that is where we all are looking to like to to see how the future can, could work out a, b a bit better. Yeah, and, and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, there's huge benefits we have from globalization. I mean, we were just discussing before. I, I don't want to be a farmer. I don't I don't want to have to grow my own food. You know, I want to write things and I'll have a bigger impact there. I'm, I'm pretty crap with my hands. So, I mean, maybe I should be doing that. And to have a system that allows for people to have a range of different skills and apply them in different ways is important too. But we need to begin to accommodate the difference between how we can address things locally and how we can address things globally and begin to have those conversations a bit more because for too long it's been just an imposition from the top on people who are dealing with the land or, or um, you know, dealing with things that, you know, that those manufacturers might not. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, like now you mentioned agriculture, like what are the processes here that we can actually learn from and I think that has really been eye-opening for me how much when we talk about uh, regenerative agriculture in the conversations or how we revitalize the land how many similarities there are between how we design and how we grow our food that basically this disconnection from the natural ecosystems that we desperately depend on for our livelihoods, quality of life and all of that, that we have sort of been in a position where we are on top of the pyramid dominating all other living beings um, to finding a much more um, re like a relationship in symbiosis with it. And therefore, a lot of the conversations around how we farm our food, how we revitalize land, um, I think there are some really both proven uh, ways of doing this, whether we are talking permaculture or, or regenerative agriculture, that we need to um, incorporate in much more broadly in design and that we maybe in our sprint into modernity have been a little arrogant as a human species actually, mm -hmm. where nature has obviously had uh, 3.8 billion years head start in research and development mm -hmm. and we have just been here in the blink of an evolutionary eye and already we think we are better to make solutions than this beautiful self-sustaining regenerative ecosystem that we are part of but that we are also really putting out of balance in just two centuries so to actually look at design as almost like 
like farming, where you understand that everything is nutrients, and how do we design ecosystems where we don't just, you know, break the earth open, take the resources we need, use it and, and throw it away, but actually start designing in a way where the materials are designed to re-enter that biosphere afterwards. Um, and at the same time, creating local ecosystems that can actually sustain the life that is locally there. Mm -hmm. And I think that has been really interesting, actually, to, to put that lens over yeah. design broadly. And um, I suppose one of the speakers here, uh, Lucio, um, who leads Arca Tierra, um, he was looking at models of uh, regenerative agriculture, sustainable agriculture, organic agriculture. And um, so he's been growing his crops in Xochimilco. Oh. Um, and, you know, he, he produces, you know, organic crops. He, he does it in the, in the right ways. And uh, then he develops contracts with uh, different restaurants, different individuals who subscribe to his food scheme. And one thing that's interesting about that is that he's also not just be begun to sell his own products, but he's begun to sell other people's. He's, he's begun to make agreements with other farmers to produce it in, in these ways that are more sustainable, more regenerative. And by doing that, you can begin to see how we can actually scale. It's not a quick scale, and it shouldn't be, um, but we can actually begin to scale these, these quite small-scale projects to something that's, that's much, much broader and can have international scope um, and, and be doing good while it's doing that. Yeah, and if I can just add, I think what's interesting about that project is also that he's actually also opened a whole school for farmers in terms of actually learning much more indigenous way of farming and how farming was done. Mm -hmm. And that has been a recurring thing as well, where yesterday Fernando Lapos talked about how the introductions of chemicals in farming has completely... Um, destroyed the soil and, 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 and suddenly farmers were talking about that now they could only grow rocks because the land was so eroded that, uh, that suddenly it's just stones and, and cliffs. Um, <clears throat> and I think what's, what's, um, what's interesting about that is again looking at an ecosystem where both the farmers thrive, where the soil thrives mm -hmm. and where we as people thrive uh, because of it um, yeah. yeah I love I, I love that that like something that has been clearly like a like a what's the name for the <laughs> give me a sec it's it's been it's been like a like a common theme and topic that is like intertwined in all of the conversations you've been having um, the, the the theme of sustainability and how this is the only path forward yeah. like mm. there is no other way I think for 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 at least the people that came here to have th these interesting conversations it's evident that some people don't do not think like sustainability is the way forward this is a bit what has us here in a very complicated moment of human history <laughs> but I think that you guys in here in the like in the in the in the in the event have been thinking of everything with sustainability on the back of your heads. And I love the parallel with agriculture and how 
we need to start thinking things differently and how design and agriculture have this in common. I've never thought about that, but it's like eye-opening. <laughs> and um, it's, yeah. Yeah, and I just want to say that one thing is sustainability, but that a point that has been made again and again is to say, what is it that we're trying to sustain now? <laughs> yeah. Like we are so deep in the mess. <laughs> Where are we trying to sustain the wildfires, the, yeah. the, the, the storms, the floods? Like, sustainability is no longer enough. Yeah. We need to regenerate. Mm -hmm. And I think that has, again, been become really obvious here with the, with the challenges also that is faced with water shortages and, and stuff like that. Because it's crazy. It, it, it is really has been a, a very complicated couple of years for the world humanity. and humanity and I think that th like, like thinking with this in mind is vital and I don't know Joanna I was wondering what is your point of view on the role of design in what seems to be like this very complicated time for everyone I think it's a very important role I think that designers um, have uh, quite a lot on their hands. They decide how we do things and with what do we produce them and all that. So I think it's it's really important to think about it. And uh, also something that stayed with me for the, this last few days is that whatever we do has to make sense for the community and for the planet. And uh, the community, not only the human community. We have to stop uh, designing like the human-centered design and go beyond. I love that one of the residents actually designed for bees, not for humans. <laughs> so he's helping wow. the bees create their home so it can be faster and because that is a problem. And I, I love that all, all of the other materials, which is good, I'm not saying that it's bad, it are created for humans. Uh, thinking of a more sustainable way of packaging the food, a more sustainable way of uh, building, But it, it was really eye-opening and interesting to see somebody designing for another species. Yeah. So I, I think we have to keep that in mind and talking about the wetlands and all that. We have to think of us as a system also. And of course, humans are not the center of everything. And we have to tell ourselves that. Yeah. And also, I mean, with the, with the example of bees, like... Designing for bees also is also designing for humanity, mm -hmm. as, as I think it's <laughs> 60% of all human food requires Pollinism. pollinators uh, for it to actually grow. And at the same time, human impact have made it really hard for bees to have a home mm -hmm. after we have landscaped our gardens and uh, running uh, monoculture industrial farming as our cities grow suddenly this is a very endangered species, species. the chemicals you mentioned for agriculture are are shown to like wreak havoc on bee populations as well it's, it's, it's insane yeah. so to think ourselves as part of this ecosystem that we you know depend mm -hmm. we need them we yeah. need them So, Louis, for you, what, uh, with all this in mind and all you have listened to in this in these past couple of weeks, what do you think is, like, the role of the designers in, like, rethinking, not, not, not even, like, starting to do it, but just, like, rethinking our relationship with 
the rest of the ecosystems, the rest of the living species, the, the planet in general. Do you think there's an important role? What, what is this role for you? I do think there's an important role. <laughs> um, so I think it's an interesting question because you've got this funny dynamic where when we begin to look after nature and the ecosystem, then we're actually looking after ourselves. I mean, sometimes I think about the climate crisis and people say we need to save the earth. Well, the earth kind of saves itself, actually. It's, it's pretty good at that. It's going to be here after we're yeah. gone. Like, long it, after. it will regenerate better without us. Don't, don't worry about that. So Definitely. a big question is about saving ourselves, if, if we're honest about it, um, if, we're, if we're completely frank. And, you know, supporting bees and just thinking beyond ourselves and being able to think about different ecosystems and different systems that aren't just human designed is actually a very effective way for us to save ourselves. So if designers are thinking intelligently, then they'll be thinking about, as I say, systems that aren't human designed, that aren't, you know, a chair or a table, but, but they're, they're how to create a permaculture, how to produce good soil, um, these sort of things, which, which we have done in the past and we've been very good at. We've, we've got too wrapped up in notions of how humans can Im impose themselves onto nature and mm. not how it can work with nature. Mm. Mm. And also, like, we are talking about these huge systemic challenges and, and, you know, complex problems. But there has also been so much of these conversations that are just, like, really common sense, where it's mm -hmm. just like we have also designed ourselves into a system where we are almost forcing ourselves to make really bad decisions for ourselves and for the environment. Like yesterday, when, when Fernando Laposte talked about sort of plastic as this workhorse material that we design everything from where like common sense you know i've never met anyone that have sort of inherited a toothbrush from their parents <laughs> or from their grandparents or their great grandparents but yet we design it in a material that will and last for centuries well <laughs> more <laughs> even more I so love it. I love the I'm going to inherit the my toothbrush. Oh, wow. Please don't. It's <laughs> okay if you boil them. <laughs> okay. So I think this could go on like forever because mm -hmm. this is a really interesting topic of conversation. And clearly we're all like thinking a bit on the same page. But as it's kind of time to wrap it up, I have to ask Simon, what's next for Space 10? And I'm kind of thinking the answer will be yes. But are you coming back to Mexico? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I have <laughs> No, but we we are definitely not um, we are not finished. Um, the conversation have have just begun, and the incredible mass of talent and knowledge and friends that we have made in these last fourteen days. Um, require that uh, that we need to to continue this conversation, and I think, as importantly, one of the things that have really been obvious is that we can't sit in our bubble in Copenhagen and try and innovate for a company like IKEA, which is present in which are present globally and now also in Mexico. Uh, because that has been a recurring point again and again and again, that in order to actually do good designing in this day and age, you need to be on ground. You actually need to be where the materials are sourced. You need to be on the factory floor. You need to be uh, where the 
the the solutions ends up in 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 the end and i think with some of the areas of interest that we have at Space 10, which is not to design the next year for IKEA, but looking at how IKEA can live up to their vision in new ways. Um, there's no doubt that some of the challenges we face also in Mexico around lack of fresh water, um, lack of uh, access to energy, clean energy, um, lack of access to healthy, sustainable food. Um, these are, are challenges that we need to be closer to the many to actually come with some relevant answers for. So we are right now at a place where we can see, okay, um, we have a very privileged part of the world that is a major cause of the climate crisis we're in. Um, so we need to find solution on how we can decarbonize our societies, especially in the in the global north. Uh, while at the same time, uh, our systems has has also put a lot of people um, in lack of 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 opportunities. And I think we are not the one who's going to sweep in and solve those systemic challenges. Uh, but I do believe that when we talk about the democratizing uh, design, that we need to be um, more engaged with people on ground to actually come up with some relevant answers, because otherwise we are going to continue uh, to design uh, the same things for the same people uh, with the same mindset. Well, that's a lot to take in, <laughs> as I'm guessing you've all took in a lot during these past couple of weeks. So I would like to like do a group question. Any last um, reflections, some perspectives you want to share, some insights that you think we need to be taking with us from all this? Um, we can start with you, Jonah, maybe. Um, okay, I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot, but uh, as Simon was saying, uh, I wrote a few notes yesterday and so one of it was decolonizing, decarbonizing. I think it's great that you're looking to Mexico uh, as a way of getting to know new ways of developing things and designing and you're uh, going to Arcatierra and seeing how we grow things in the Chinampas and all that. Um, the other thing that I uh, got stuck with was uh, the democratic design. So it needs to follow form, function, price, and sustainability. We need to look at it that way so we can create things that you know, make sense for the community. Uh, and uh, another thing that got stuck with me uh, from the talk yesterday was that uh, how we see the future as a neo-vernacular future, you know? uh, staying with the materials that we have. So how is it going to look like, not like the Jetsons, but <laughs> like how um, that's what I stay with I love the Jetsa <laughs> reference I love it <laughs> so Luis um, yeah so I, I suppose one big take home would be um, I was speaking to Simon about this earlier but we, we have a lot of we have a lot of thinking which is that we, we can solve problems from looking at them from the top 
And, and what this has done is really helped uh, look at problems from the bottom up. Um, so Arcateado is a great example of how you can begin to build something from the bottom up. It's a grassroots movement and you can bin, begin to create a system um, that doesn't impose itself, but it, it, it grows. It grows organically. And I'm not, I, I think it's also important to say that top-down solutions do need to come as well. But they need to be taking everything into account because we can't ignore that, you know, we've got very, very large companies that will have a greater impact on the environment, on society, on the world. They exist. That's, that's, that's an inevitability. And sometimes it's not necessarily such a negative thing so long as they're moving in the right direction and they're begin to take, beginning to take into account the, the real difficult questions of how we can move towards sustainability and, and the, the compromises that they need to make. Um, in regard to how much money they make, in regard to the values they hold, mm. um, and just shift those values much more towards, you know, how can, how can we make things more sustainable? How can we make things function better in a society or in this particular system that we have? And as you were saying, Simon, like the, the systems in Mexico, it's been fantastic to see how they work on the ground for you, I'm sure. And that knowledge is just expanding. And with the community, it's feeding itself and and. And that is one of the best things to see, is that you're also creating this beautiful system of design thinking that isn't just design thinking sat in an office in Copenhagen. It's, <laughs> it's design thinking on the ground in Mexico and dealing with people directly. And I think that is by far the most important thing that you can be doing, and, and that's exactly what's been done. Simon, something something else you want to add? <clears throat> I think it's become clear that design is a political act. That's a takeaway from me. And a second thing is that when we talk about values like whether it's sustainability, circularity, regeneration, or inclusivity, um, diversity, representation, that these are no longer some CSR bullshit. Um, These are actually uh, key business decisions that needs to be in the core for businesses to actually thrive. And I really believe that the, the pioneers of, of today will be the market leaders uh, tomorrow. Which is an interesting takeaway as well, mm -hmm. because uh, as you said, we shouldn't be thinking about how this is oh, going to be so expensive. Nobody's going to make any money of this. It's like, no, it's a business, and it works for our survival and our benefit as well. Mm. People are just not, maybe not seeing that part of, I don't know. I think, um, I know you're trying to wrap it up, but... Uh, <laughs> no, no, but go ahead, <laughs> please. We had this uh, lovely speaker, uh, Nancy Jung, on stage, who is, she calls herself a design ethicist. And she is um, one of the ones working with all the big major tech companies when they are on fire, she would love to come in earlier. But anyway, <laughs> she's worked with, you know, all the, yeah, uh, Google, Facebook, Intel, Microsoft, all of that. But her point was really that when working with Uber, she went on ground in India, for instance. She actually, through on-ground research, saw that, hey, The product that works in California, US, Europe, like we can't just, you know, uh, dump the same solution here. And she, for instance, like just a small trick, like not everybody has a bank account. 
we need to be able, people need to be able to pay with cash. Boom, the biggest market for Uber Whoa. became India. She went to Mexico, sourced the foundings. Boom, Mexico, second biggest market for Uber. So when we are talking about these things, there's of course concerns around the climate, about communities, around people, but it actually pays off to do the right things in, in, in this day and age. And I think that was very inspiring that this is not some hippy dippy, uh, mm. let's do the right thing here. Um, but it, that is actually um, really good for business as well. And I think in the capitalistic system that we are all trapped in, um, we need to change things from the inside for sure. Um, we need to experiment with new business models, but I think as a great way to pivot toward um, better business models, um, we need to look at how we can create uh, model businesses that can inspire other businesses to follow. That I think that is key. Yeah. And and it was interesting also what Nancy was saying because she's a design ethicist. Like, who would have guessed that she's she's changing Uber so that people can pay in cash? You know, like that that does not suggest <laughs> it in the title, but. The point that she made is, I mean, she's also working with, like, designs of... So she was talking about, uh, I think it was Google, developed something where you can clip it to your body um, and you can walk around and it will take photographs of the things you photograph. And it's great, you know, we, we've got this we've got this thing which records what you do and you can share it with your friends. And she said, okay, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. This thing that you're clipping to your body, has it been designed for a man by any chance? Because... <laughs> Women have breasts. <laughs> You're not going to be able to use this on, on a woman. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work. So that's that's designed in a very simple sense on a product scale. But she's also designing systems. And she's also fixing huge, huge systems, national systems, international systems, and completely transforming businesses on the largest scale we could possibly imagine. So it's design running from something that you clip to your body to something that can transform the way a nation interacts with one of the biggest companies in the world. Wow, that's insane. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Okay, so it looks like the event went great. Talks were talked. No, but this is amazing. Thanks for letting me in on this and the people that's listen, that, that are listening to us as well. Because it'd be a shame that everything that has been going on for 14 days just like stays here which is vital i think because the connections made and and the things that have been shown and, and learned and that does not go away but that more people have a chance to get in on this is i think really important and the thing of of, of yeah of working with the system we have to make it better because it's not like we can pretend it does it doesn't exist and that we don't live in a world where you have to work with Google and Facebook and all of that. We have to. It's the, way, it's the world we live in. So the thing of like, like working it from the inside and, and like trying to, to make it better from there while doing the whole other thing is it's, it's, it's key as well. Mm. For so, sure. Yeah. But just want to add that I think Nanette uh, from IKEA, mm -hmm. she was very keen on this thing that, that we can get quite paralyzed with these big companies. What would we do without Facebook, Google, all of that? Um, so she was really underlining, hey, everyone has a role to play here that every time we buy something, every time we use a service, every time we are interacting with a company, 
we are voting for that company. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that uh, that to me is is of course not what's going to solve everything, um, but I think that that definitely the big corporations are the one responsible when it comes to um, um, both the climate crisis as well as as, as colonization and, 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 and these things. But I think it is important to underline that we also have a form of power because we are the ones funding these machines and that we actually vote every time we interact with a company, which means that it's important that we know what are the values uh, of these companies that we are supporting every day. We thank you so much for joining us in exploring Beyond Human-Centered Design. We hope you've enjoyed these conversations as much as we have and that you'll stay tuned for where we pop up next. In the interim, you can keep following us on Instagram at Space10 to see what we get up to along the way. Sign up to our newsletter via space10.com. And remember, we're on Twitter and Facebook too. Thanks again and see you soon.